So Father, as we come to you this morning, we're thankful for the gifts that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace, for the strength to make it day in and day out. God, the only one worthy of worship is you. So Father, I ask that you would take our offering and turn it into something that's acceptable and pleasing in your ears. For it's in Jesus' good and wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, you can have a seat. <clears throat> Excuse me. Take your Bibles, go to First Peter. As you're sitting, taking your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If you wouldn't mind letting the worship band know how thankful you are for them this morning. Our, um, I don't want you to hurt yourself trying to do three things at once, but um, they, they have given much time, much energy, much effort uh, in trying to serve us, and I think they have done a fantastic job serving us well. Jeremy's doing a great job leading that team, so it's been, uh, it's been a good morning already. It's a beautiful day outside, so I know everybody in here was like, it's beautiful out. I would love to go to church at 11 o'clock, but I'm glad you're here. So um, here we go, First Peter chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, starting back in verse 1, uh, try not to re-preach the entire message from last week. Um, but I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 5, so why don't you follow along with me. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. So Peter is writing to a people who are already experiencing great difficulty. So don't, don't think that uh, their life is perfect and everything's going great. And then Peter's like, oh, it's about to get bad. No, no, they are already experiencing great difficulty. But what Peter is saying is there is more to come. It's, it's going to get worse, okay? At the be- very beginning of his book, he reminds them, we talked about this last week, he reminds them, you are strangers. You are foreigners in this land. This isn't your home, So as you look at things that happen around you, as you experience things, you you need to approach them in a different way than everybody else because you are different. You have been chosen by God. You are in his family. You are his children. You must view all of these things differently. So you, as followers of Jesus Christ and as his children, should be viewing the current events of the United States of America differently than everyone else. You cannot be looking at these things through the lens of CNN, through the lens of Fox News, through the lens of MSNBC. I don't care where you get your news, The Onion or Babylon Bee if you like satire. I don't, I, it doesn't matter. The reality is you cannot be viewing these things through the lens as a Republican, as a Democrat. You cannot view these things as a Caucasian, or as a black, or as a Hispanic, or as an Asian. You you can't view these things through those lenses. And there's a reason. Because what you're seeing happen, 
from every walk of life, from Fox News, CNN, Republicans, Democrats, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, Caucasians, all of them. You know what you are seeing? A plethora of sin. There's no black sin. There's no Caucasian sin. No Asian sin. No Latino. There's sin. And what you are seeing happen is sin being brought to full maturity and erupting before our very eyes. Racism is sin, period. Judging somebody based on a stereotype is sin, period. Murder is sin. Stealing is sin. Terrorism is sin. Lying is sin. Bullying, it's all sin. And so in this moment, instead of taking a side and viewing it through a certain lens, a particular lens, what we need to be doing is viewing it through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that lens should cry out with desperation for the salvation of these people. We should be broken as we see the brokenness of the world around us and seeing what sin does to people. Instead of cherry-picking cheap shots from the bleachers. Friends, we need to be viewing these things in a different way than everybody else. And that's what Peter is saying. I, it's, it's amazing to me, as we go through the next weeks through the book of Peter, how applicable this book is to what we are seeing right now. You're a stranger here. Stop trying to make this your permanent home. Fix your eyes instead on your true home. And he talks about that in verse 2. I mean, he had this rich, deep theology. He runs through and says, listen, you're going to look around at the universe and, and think maybe it's against you. You're going to look and think maybe I'm getting bad karma. Maybe all the, what is all this stuff? And the reality is it's none of that. All of these things are happening according to the foreknowledge of God the Father for the purpose of the maturing and completion of yourself by the Holy Spirit, which is demonstrated through your obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what verse 2 says. And so Peter says to his friends and family as he looks around, <clears throat> he says, you're going to need more grace and more peace to make it through these upcoming days. That's what verse, the end of verse 2. May, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, be thankful for the grace and peace you already have, but pray for a divine multiplication of it. Because Peter is saying, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I see what's coming, and here's my warning to you. Buckle up. It's about to get ugly. I know what's on the other side of this. So, so let me, uh, back in the 1970s, the first cinematic blockbuster in American history was Jaws. Any of you get to enjoy that movie? Now, what's funny is you can watch it today. It's got the most corny special effects ever. You see the actual shark and you're like, that's not a shark. So don't a dumb, it's a dumb story. It's terrible special effects. But when you watch that movie and go to the ocean the next day, seaweed touches your leg and you still freak out. Right? Jaws has that effect on you. Well, in that movie, there is a particular line. It's probably the most famous line of the entire movie um, where, I always forget his name, Sheriff. Yep. It's the guy. He's the sheriff. He's trying to help catch, catch uh, the Jaws. He's the Jaws. Brody, that's right, Brody, there it is. Uh, so he, he's trying to catch, Sheriff Brody's trying to catch the Jaws, and he's sitting on the back of the boat, and he's chumming the water. He's trying to 
to incite the, the shark. He's trying to get the shark to come to them so they can capture it and get it to stop eating people, which is a great plan, good motives. And as he's doing it, he's kind of having this side conversation with the captain of the boat. And all of a sudden, he's, he's chumming, he's looking this way, and Jaws makes an appearance, the first appearance. And it comes up out of the water, and these big mammoth fake teeth, <laughs> massive mouth, this monstrosity of evil. And as Sheriff Brody turns around, he sees Jaws. The first time he's laid eyes on this, this mythical creature that they've been chasing. And, and, and it takes his breath, and you see him stumble backwards without saying anything, into the cabin, and he's looking at the captain, and his eyes are huge, and his mouth is agape. He's got a cigarette, and it's barely hanging on. And he says, we're going to need a bigger boat. See, he got to see what it was they were actually about to come up against, and he recognized he didn't have enough. We're going to need a bigger boat. What Peter is saying to his people is, you're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need much more grace and peace to make it through the things that are about to come up. You're going to need to be more fully sure of, regardless of how bumpy it gets, how difficult it gets, you need to be anchored into the truth of grace and peace, that God loves you, that God has affection for you, that God is for you. And the days of nominal faith, where you just get to say you're a Christian, are gone. That doesn't buy you any merit badges anymore. This easy believism is I go to church because it's fun. And it's a good, no, that's gone too. You're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need more grace and peace. But don't fall for the trap of uh, grace and peace comes in seven easy installments of 1999. Okay, It's not even a seven-step process. Grace and peace is already yours if you're a child of God. You just need to be reminded of what you have. And that's what Peter sets out to do. He starts off by saying this, because of his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, first, you have been mercied. As as sinners separated from God in our own sin and rebellion, as sinners who have driven a wedge between us and God and, and created this large gulf between us, we desperately need mercy. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we turn from our sin, if we believe on him, and if we trust ourselves only and entirely to him, then God pardons us and forgives us of our sin. But he doesn't just pardon us and forgive us from our sin. He reconciles our relationship. So, so what was once separated, now we are pardoned, forgiven, and reconciled. But he doesn't just pardon, recon- or pardon forgive, and then reconcile. He adopts us as his own child. I mean, try try to wrap your head around all this, right? He pardons us, he forgives us, he reconciles us, he adopts us. But even more than that, he gives to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He credits to our account all of the obedience and sinless perfection of Jesus Christ, even though we are anything but obedient and sinlessly perfect. See, that's mercy. What Peter says is, in these upcoming days, you need more grace and peace by remembering what it is you have. And what you have is mercy. You have a living hope. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. This living hope is the opposite of living in disappointment. Okay, Uh, Disappointment and your level of disappointment is directly related to where you have your hope anchored. So if your hope is that your spouse 
is going to come into your life and is going to meet every one of your needs, desires, wants, and wishes, you are going to be disappointed. If, if, if your hope is that you will be able to manage and control your environment by having the perfect job with the perfect wage and the perfect hours and the perfect level of stress, <laughs> you are going to be disappointed. If, if your, your, your hope is in the fact that your children will accomplish far more than you were ever able to and will never experience disappointment or failure, you are going to be disappointed. If your hope is that you can control your own health in such a way that you can eat enough kale so that you live forever, you'll be disappointed twice. It won't help you live forever, and you're stuck eating kale every time. A living hope never disappoints because it's rightly placed. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. This, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead I mean, our living hope isn't anchored in our ability to be perfect or our ability to control everything around us. Our living hope is anchored in the proven ability of Jesus Christ to conquer death and to overcome the grave. So you, you have mercy. You have a living hope. You have an inheritance. Verse 4, And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance. So let me explain what it is as best I can. Because I will admit completely in front of you without reservation or embarrassment. I cannot get my head around this one. I can't. So your inheritance is this. It's, the, it's your share in the kingdom of heaven. It's your portion of the new creation and its blessings. It's your benefits of eternal life, which include things like life and righteousness and joy, peace, the, the presence of God, the, the companionship of Jesus Christ. I mean, you have all of those things. So, so you have this inheritance, but it's even more than that. Romans 8 tells us that you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're a co-heir with Christ. That means that whatever Jesus gets, you get. Yeah, this, is, this is kind of a, a goofy picture, and it's certainly not accurate, but maybe it'll help you understand. So you go to the lawyer's office to hear the last will and testament read out loud. You sit next to Jesus in the lawyer's office, and the lawyer unwraps, in my head I'm going to scroll. I don't think lawyers use scrolls anymore. It's probably a book, but he opens up the folder and he begins to read the last will and testament, and he reads out the list of all the things that Jesus gets. And then he looks at you and says, and you get the same. Explain that one to me. How do you deserve the same that Jesus gets? It's impossible to wrap your head around, and I don't fully understand this. The only thing I do understand is that in that day... It's going to be more than just a mansion. It's going to be more than just a, a custom-fit crown or a harp that is always in tune or whatever weird things you think about as an inheritance in heaven, whatever that might be. It's going to be far greater than that. And while I can't delineate it, I can't lay it all out for you. I can't give you, you know, bullet points, this, 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 this. What I can tell you is this. On that day, you will not stomp out of the lawyer's office disappointed, feeling like you got gypped. You are simply going to be overwhelmed because you don't deserve any of that. You have mercy. You have a living hope. 
You have an inheritance. And then Peter talks about the inheritance a little bit. He talks about this inheritance being different than any other. He says this inheritance is permanent. It's unchangeable. He says this inheritance, verse 4, is imperishable. It cannot perish. It is never injured, never damaged, spoiled, not able to be destroyed. Unlike every other toy that you have, okay, no matter how much it costs you, no matter what toy it is, over time, that thing is going to fail to produce. It's going to fail to act. It's going to fail uh, in its mechanics. It will not be able to continue throughout all of eternity. And what Peter says is your inheritance, it's death proof. It will never fail you. It's imperishable. It cannot be defiled. That means it remains unstained by sin. It's not polluted by anything that's less than it. And let me, let me explain that a little bit. It means no impurities are introduced into it to water it down. So, so <laughs> I, I talk about sunrises a lot. Um, yesterday, I didn't see today's. Yesterday's sunrise was redonkulous. There were colors that I didn't know existed showing up in the sky over here yesterday. And as I, as I stood there and, and watched it, and was really overwhelmed by it, The natural thought is, look at how amazing my God is. Look at how he can paint that beautiful image on the sky, how pristine it is, how perfect it is, how organized it is, how overwhelming it is, how it brings great delight to my soul. And what we need to remember is, even that is tainted by sin. Imagine the first sunrise you see in eternity where sin doesn't exist anymore. Our inheritance is sin-proof. It's never diminished by sin. But not only is it imperishable and undefiled, it's also unfading. It cannot fade. Every possession we have wears out through the passage of time. But your inheritance will never wither. It'll never grow dim. It'll never lose its glory or its beauty. We're entering this amazing season where... uh, Flowers and trees begin to blossom and to bloom. Um, and then um, my reaction to blossoming and blooming usually is a big swollen face and lots of allergy problems. But it's beautiful, so it's wonderful. So my family, my wife particularly, likes to bring flowers into the house. She'll put them on the kitchen table, and then she'll watch to see how red my eyes get to determine if she needs to get them out of the house or not. Um, so use lilacs. We, we like lilacs. But then there's this other flower. Oh, I have the... My kids are sitting in the front row. I have to say this out loud. It's humiliating. I can never get the name of the flower right, so I created a name for it, and so I constantly refer to it as this and can never remember the real name. This morning, I uh, put this on our online service, and, and I was instructed as to how to say it if I was from the north or the south, so now I've got a couple of different options, and I still can't remember how to say it. I don't remember what it's called. I refer to this plant, this flower, as paninis. I believe it's peonies. Paninis, but it's paninis. It will always be paninis. So right now we have three paninis in a jar on our kitchen table. And I don't know if you're familiar with paninis. They, they, they smell amazing. And they're glorious. They're beautiful. When they open, I mean, right now they're still like kind of like tennis ball size clumped up, but then they, they open up and the petals open up and the smell is gorgeous. They're just beautiful for a day or two. And then they begin to fade. And when those things fade, they don't just like begin to droop. It looks like somebody hits them with a baseball bat. When they fade, they go poof. And there's petals everywhere. So, so your inheritance will never fade. It'll be just as glorious 
in eternal day number 150,000 as it was on eternal day number one. It'll never lose its excitement. Much like Christmas, we tend to lose excitement quickly in Christmas when our children are young. They can ask for a gift for weeks, even months. You get them that gift Christmas morning and they will play with it for about three or four hours and then suddenly you never see it again. It's lost its excitement. Now your, your inheritance will never age. It's time-proof. You have been mercied. So in these days of difficulty and frustration, you've got to remember, you have been mercied. In these days of frustration and chaos, what you need to remember is you have a living hope. These days of desperation and questions, you've got to remember, you have an inheritance. And that inheritance is permanent, unchangeable. It's also protected. This unfading, imperishable, undefiled inheritance, the end of verse 4, is kept in heaven for you. It's being kept for you by him. It's kept, that, 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 that verb and that form of the verb means it's an action with ongoing results currently and as far as you can see into the future. So God has taken your inheritance and he has stored it up for you. He has reserved it for you in heaven and no one else can touch it. And that, that's particularly meaningful to these people in Peter's day because when persecution would come, you could lose your physical inheritance. You, you could have hostile neighbors come and, and force you out of the land that's been passed down generation to generation to generation in your family. They could actually come in and remove you from your land. The, the, the angry mobs could come and take your possessions. The government could even come in and confiscate your, your property and your, your finances. But what Peter says is this inheritance, no matter how bad the persecution gets, no one can touch it. This table is reserved and no one else will ever sit at it. This thing has been put into a safe deposit box. It is being watched over. There is nobody getting access to it except for you. Why is God keeping your inheritance for you in heaven? A very simple reason. I will explain it with a picture. Let's pretend that I have a nice, crisp $50 bill. You're going to have to use your imagination. I don't even have a bill, forget it being a 50. But I have a $50 bill. And a little three-year-old dude's running around. And I'm like, you know what, my man, come here. For you. And I hand him a $50 bill. Okay. How long until he loses it? Probably not very long. Probably in the parking lot. I didn't give anybody 50, so don't go scouring the parking lot, okay? Now, if, if you're, now I'm not going to critique parenting, but if you're a smart parent who doesn't want to deal with a three-year-old who is crying hysterically because he lost his crisp 50, you're not going to let him hold on to it for very long. You're going to take it and hold it for him. Why? Well, even though he's not aware of how valuable it is, I mean, in his mind, it's probably just a piece of art, you understand that there's value that comes with that $50 bill. You also understand the likelihood that he's going to lose it. And so you're going to hold on to it for him. Everything that Christ died to give you is being kept by God for you. And he's holding it because if it were up to you, you would lose it. But he won't. He won't. This permanent inheritance is protected by God himself 
in heaven. And it's of incredible value. And it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. And we should long to go experience it. We should long to see it and taste it and feel it and understand how awesome it's going to be. And it's going to be amazing as long as you show up to collect it. Right? It doesn't matter how awesome it is. It doesn't matter what's stored up. It doesn't matter what's there. If you don't show up to collect it, So how can we know that we will collect it? Because we're not trying to get there alone. Look at verse 5. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded by God. Kept safe carefully watched, shielded, protected. That word is a military term that's, that's used for both keeping a prisoner from escaping and protecting from attack. The, the, the word that pictures, uh, this is a word that pictures constant action. It's, it's not just uh, the soldier falling asleep at a boring post because there's really nothing to watch. No, no, this is an active, constant movement. The power of God is shielding and protecting you. Now, it's not saying that you're not going to suffer. It's not saying that there will be no difficulty, no persecution. You can avoid suffering through this. That's not what he's saying. This is a beautiful and encouraging word from Peter. Now, now catch this. These people had come to know the mercy of God through the preaching of the gospel. And yet, for some time now, they have found life incredibly difficult. And maybe, don't know, maybe, like some of you, they were filled with the feeling that maybe God had forgotten them. So Peter, Peter being the the disciple who knows what it's like to stumble through the middle of a journey, right? Peter being the guy who, who, who understands the weight of insecurity if you try to live a merit-based relationship with God, because that's what that was what Peter tried to do. To earn this, to earn this, to be the big guy, the tough guy. And, and, and he understood the insecurity of that because he can't carry that through. He's going to fail. That Peter is the one who is writing to these people. And he's pointing them, and, and he's pointing you to the mercy that you've experienced in Jesus Christ. He's pointing you to the inheritance that is permanent and protected for you. He's pointing you to the power of God that guards you through difficult days. Peter says, you're going to need more grace and mercy. You need the divine multiplication of grace and mercy. And you need to look forward to this day when your salvation is revealed. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says in the middle of this difficulty, as you are seeking to to remember what it is you have in Christ Jesus, when you remember it all, what you have to be longing for is the day when your living hope becomes a living reality. That day when your faith becomes sight. Because you can lose your job, you can lose your money, you can lose your house, you can lose relationships, but you can't lose your living hope because it's not dependent on you. It's on him. And, and, And the question you have to ask is, so what guarantee do I have? How do I know? Well, you want to know how you know? The tomb's empty. Every promise that Jesus Christ made, he fulfilled in that moment. 
Guys, we're going to need more grace and mercy to make it through. We, we have grace and mercy. We have grace and peace. We have more than we could ever possibly realize. We just need to reflect on the living hope that is rooted in mercy and is confirmed and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we watch the news, might I suggest just stop doing that. As we watch the news, as we listen to what people say, as we experience our own conflict in our own lives, whether it be at home, at work, no matter where it is, this, this conflict continues to rise up within us. And as we look forward to that day where our faith becomes sight, where our living hope becomes a living reality, we, we've got to ask ourselves, so where's this grace and peace? How are we going to make it through? And Peter's trying to say to them and to you, very simply, your boat is plenty big. Take confidence in the God who raised his son Jesus Christ from the grave. May grace and peace be multiplied. Father, thank you for the precious promise of your word. Thank you that we do have a hope. Father, that our hope is sure. That the tomb is empty. That Christ has already won the victory. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to fix our eyes on him, not on the situations around us, not on the circumstances around us, not on the things that clamor for our attention, but Father, instead, on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray that you would fill us all full of the hope that we can have in Christ. I thank you that our hope isn't a, a wish, but it's that confident expectation that someday you'll split the sky and you'll come and rescue us. Father, we long for that day. We ask for your protection and grace over us until that day. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.